Music, news, talk, and sports. WQKR Portland, 1270 AM and 101.7 FM. And now, Portland's news brought to you by Portland Natural Gas. Portland City Councilwoman Megan Thompson has said she is studying city charters of other Tennessee communities in an effort to find out how Portland could remove Alderman Thomas Dillard from the council. Alderman Brian Woodall, when asked by Channel 4 Investigates recently if he believes Dillard should remain a member of the city council, said, No, I don't believe he should. I don't think he represents the entire community. Other members of the council, following Dillard's first exposure last February when he used racial slurs to describe his next-door neighbors, one of whom is Puerto Rican and the other biracial, and called their children, in his words, effing porch monkeys, and monkey sounds aimed at them were heard coming from his backyard, voted to censure Dillard for his embarrassing behavior. And last week, when police were called back to his home and that of his neighbor, when he was again caught on video making racial slurs and arguing with those same neighbors, he was also seen and heard telling Portland police officers to, in his words, get off my effing property. When warned his use of profanity and his attitude could lead to him going to jail for disorderly conduct, Dillard could again be heard yelling, this time at the police officers, too, again in his words, get off my effing property, get out of here, dude. All of this was captured on police body camera video and put in writing in reports by Portland police officers. Dillard's response to criticism from the mayor, other council members, police officers, and others was that he was going to be a candidate for mayor of Portland in the November 8th election. And sure enough, what appeared to be childish, handmade signs saying Thomas Dillard, write-in candidate for mayor, can be seen along the sides of roads around downtown Portland. Meanwhile, Thompson and other city officials say they are continuing to look for ways in which Dillard could be removed from Portland City Council. 
One interpretation of the wording of the city's charter seems to indicate a member may be removed for grave misconduct showing unfitness for public service. It's that description that is being studied by those who want to see Dillard off of the council and out of the city's leadership group. A charter school group is pushing hard to be the first to open in Sumner County after two initial no votes from the local school board. Founders Classical Academy of Hendersonville is appealing the board's denial to the state charter commission. The school hopes to open in the fall of 2024 in Hendersonville or Gallatin. Charter schools have brought up questions from parents this school year, with Hillsdale schools also being rejected by local school boards after its leadership dubbed Tennessee educators dumb. Hillsdale charters were lauded by the Tennessee governor in his annual address, but Founders Classical Academy of Hendersonville is no longer connected to Hillsdale's efforts. The two entities parted ways a year ago. State law requires a school district that receives a charter school application to form a charter school authorizer committee. That committee determines whether an applicant meets the standards set out in the Tennessee Charter School Application Scoring Criteria. Board members argued last week the school doesn't have a space and isn't prepared to support students with disabilities. Founders have been around for a decade with more than 20 existing Founders Classical Academies across other states. Founders Classical representatives say they're offering a free choice to parents, saying taxpayer funds will not pay for the school. The commission will continue to accept written public comments for one more week. The sheriff in Wilson County said a 19-year-old boy died of a gunshot at a home early this last weekend. Austin Gordon died just after his birthday, according to his mother, Tanya Wilkerson. She said Gordon was with four other teens, three girls and a boy, at a home in Wilson County last Saturday when he was shot in the head with a 9mm handgun. He died instantly. She believes someone shot him, and that was considered to be a homicide. She wants to see justice done. However, detectives say it's too early to reach any conclusions. They're interviewing the teens who were there and at this point have ruled out nothing. Once the investigation is completed, the findings will be sent to the district attorney, who will then decide whether to seek an indictment for criminal charges. A road project to rehabilitate and resurface Interstate 65 in Simpson County will cause a large traffic impact for the next few weeks. The Kentucky Transportation Cabinet District 3 said lane closures are in place between the Kentucky-Tennessee line at mile point zero and the Warren County line at mile point 13. The Kentucky Welcome Center will also temporarily close this week with multiple interchanges and the way station experiencing disruptions for the next two weeks. The Welcome Center is closed to most traffic until Thursday morning at 6 a.m. Beginning on Wednesday, the ramps at Exits 2 and US 31W are expected to be impacted with temporary closures. For convenience and cost efficiency, a gas-heated home is your natural choice with natural gas provided by Portland Natural Gas. When you have natural gas in your home, you can have savings in your bank account. Natural gas is the most efficient energy source and can save you up to hundreds of dollars a year compared to other fuels. So for the energy cost you can live with, make the natural choice. Natural gas from Portland Natural Gas. For more information, call 325-6776. Portland's news has been brought to you by Portland Natural Gas. While the hosts and guests on this program are encouraged to express their views, they do not necessarily reflect those of the ownership or management of WQKR. Good afternoon, Portland and Sumner County.
This is Lana Santi. You're listening to The Loyal Opposition on WQKR, Portland's radio station. What's The Loyal Opposition? Our show is based on the American ideal that, the, that nations like ours benefit when government reflects a diversity of voices and makes space for dissent. That's why we're here, to air the voice of dissent to the supermajority's policies and ideas. On today's show, news and commentary about our two U.S. senators in the news again, and we'll have a conversation with our, our guest attorney, Amanda Gentry. Uh, before we get started with the news, a couple of quick announcements. We now have a text-in number. Uh, if you'd like to text in comments or questions to the show, during the show, you can, you can text us at area code 516-440-6310. That's 516-440-6310. That's a text-only number. Uh, and if we have time, we will certainly get to your questions or comments. You can also reach us uh, through our Facebook page, at Loyal Oppo on Facebook. All right, uh, weather in Portland today, it is 93 degrees and hot out there. Stay cool, stay hydrated, folks. Low tonight will be 71, uh, clear and sunny, both now and then. Tomorrow, we're looking at cooler weather. All right, let's get to the news. Right, normally, I cover about three stories on this portion of the show, but I'm extra annoyed this week, so we're going to spend more than the usual amount of time on one story. And what is that story? Well, our U.S. Senators, Marsha Blackburn and Bill Haggerty, are once again in the news. Uh, they recently held a news conference where they attacked Democrats on crime and proposed legislation to spend money on law enforcement to deal with rising crime in the United States. The usual talking points emerged. Democrats are soft on crime, and all the proof you need is that there's more crime in Democrat-run cities than there is in Republican-run states. But of course, reality is much more nuanced. Let's look first at crime rates. First, crime statistics vary greatly throughout the United States with various crimes rising at different levels in different cities or states. But on average, violent crimes increased during 2020 compared to 2019, according to the Brennan Center for Justice. Violent crime rates increased by more than 5% nationwide, with the murder rate increasing by 29%, and aggravated assault rates increasing by 12%. Although the center's analysis of 2020 crime statistics show rape rates decreased by 12% and robbery rates decreased by 10%. States varied, with, Tennessee, with Tennessee's violent crime rate rising 13%, much higher than the national average of 5%. And, of course, we do know that Tennessee is governed by Republicans. So the causal relationship that Republicans like to create between Democrats and crime just is not true. Murders within cities rose about 30%, while murders in suburban and rural areas increased about 20%, according to the Brennan Center's analyses. Property crimes went down. Burglary and larceny both went down, although motor vehicle theft went up. A comment from the Brennan Center analysis I think is insightful. Despite politicized crimes that claims, I'm sorry, that this rise was the result of criminal justice reform in liberal-leaning jurisdictions, murders rose roughly equally in cities run by Republicans and cities run by Democrats, according to the Brennan Center's analysis released in July of this year. The so-called red states actually saw some of the highest murder rates of all. The analysis also notes that crime data makes it difficult to pin recent trends on local policy shifts and basically reveals the basic inaccuracy of attempts to politicize a problem as complex as crime. Instead, the evidence points to broad national causes driving rising crime requiring broad national solutions. Also, it should be noted that most recent federal spending, the most recent federal spending package enacted in March of this year with broad bipartisan support, in other words, with support from Democrats and Republicans, appropriated $3.88 billion for grants from the U.S. Department of Justice to local and state law enforcement agencies, a 15% increase over the prior fiscal year's bill, and appropriated $575 million for the Office on Violence Towards Women grant program, the highest funding level ever for that program. In other words, Democrats and Republicans alike have supported these programs and have increased funding for them. Once again, Haggerty and Blackburn are oversimplifying a complex issue to score cheap political points. 
Interestingly enough, the Brennan Center analysis also offers solutions to the, to the crime, issue of crime and also points out that crime is still much lower than it was in the 1990s. Context is important, as I think I say on pretty much every episode of this show. Context is important. One solution the Brennan Center analysis offers is sure to get the haters hating, and they argue that we need to reduce gun violence. America has a uniquely destructive relationship with guns, accelerating violence of all types, from gang killings to school shootings and racial terrorism against black people and Asian people. A decades-long campaign of deregulation has made gun carrying far more common while making it harder to study, much less interdict or deter the flow of firearms. Yes, you heard that right, folks. Republicans have actually made it virtually impossible to study gun violence on the federal level, leaving it to liberal-leaning states to conduct the research that is being done. Unfortunately, in a recent decision, the Supreme Court further undermined the ability of states to regulate the carrying of guns within their borders, jeopardizing public safety and underscoring the need for local solutions in addition to state and federal regulation. Despite this, these rulings, policymakers must look for ways to both stem the illegal trade of guns and limit the legal transfer of guns to people who do not pose a danger to themselves or to others. For example, some states, with some success, have enacted laws limiting gun purchases to one per month. When implemented in Virginia, this policy appeared to reduce gun trafficking out of the state. States could also consider banning uh, the sale of assault weapons to young people or enacting red flag laws, which provide a civil procedure for uh, confiscating dangerous weapons from someone believed to pose a public safety threat. Now, uh, I would like to uh, mention my personal opinion on that particular sentence right there. Uh, red flag laws certainly have the potential and have merit, but we need to be really careful with those because we don't want to be violating people's civil rights. Uh, um, it clearly believed to pose a public safety threat is something that has to come from a court, not from an individual police officer or individual person. All this to be said, local efforts will make a difference, but identifying smart, scalable solutions is going to be challenging. It's not simple. It's not simple at all, uh, despite what our politicians seem to say. Okay? Folks, I want to make one thing clear before we cut to our break. I'm a Second Amendment guy. I own more guns than I bet most anyone listening to this program. I've sent my share of lead downrange. I have a carry permit. I've had a certification to teach carry classes in Tennessee. I was an NRA certified instructor. I was an NRA certified training counselor, which is a person who trains instructors. My gun cred is pretty high, I think. Okay, I also strongly believe that the rights guaranteed under the Second Amendment are just as eligible for moderation as any other rights we have. Just as every other right is limited for various reasons, so too can the right to bear arms. I can't yell fire in a crowded movie theater, cause a panic that results in injury and damage, and claim the First Amendment protects me from criminal charges because I'm exercising my right to free speech. Rampant gun violence cries out for reasonable regulation on the national level. Republicans love to point out high gun crimes in cities like Chicago with high crime rates, but fail to point out that most guns used in those crimes come from outside the city. Strong local restrictions mean nothing if, if the jurisdiction next door doesn't have any. We need national background checks on all purchases. We need red flag laws carefully constructed to make sure we do not hurt individual civil liberties. We need national background checks on all purchases. We need to consider limiting the sales of certain types of firearms, and we need to enact laws that allow law enforcement to better track the movement of illegal guns. Republicans have made it even in virtually impossible to even study gun violence at the federal level, leaving research to some states. This insanity has to stop. Expect to hear more on this issue on this show. Before we break, let me just read verbatim from the Tennessee Constitution. That the citizens of this state have a right to keep and bear arms for their common defense, but the legislature shall have power by law to regulate the wearing of arms with a view to prevent crime. Let's take our first break, folks. When we come back, we'll speak with our guest, Amanda Gentry. This is WQKR. You're listening to The Loyal Opposition. The Sumner County Anti-Drug Coalition, an organization dedicated to ending drug abuse, is now the Sumner Prevention Coalition. 
but their goal is the same, helping Sumner County residents with drug abuse problems turn their lives around and get on the road to recovery. Their mission is to unite people with vision, commitment, and resources to provide solutions to eliminate substance abuse and make a difference for youth, families, and individuals in Sumner County. The coalition and its staff of experienced professionals in the field envision a healthy, safe, and thriving community free from substance abuse of all kinds, tobacco use, prescription drug abuse, and underage drinking. Find out how the Sumner Prevention Coalition can help you, and you can help the coalition. Visit them online at sumnercoalition.org. That's sumnercoalition.org. The Portland Sun is our local hometown newspaper where we can find out all the news about our friends, neighbors, businesses, schools, churches, and everything going on in our area. Every week, the latest issue of The Sun is full of the news we want and need, and it's only $20 a year for a subscription to get it mailed directly to your home. The Portland Sun, our hometown newspaper. For a subscription, call 615-384-6212 or go to theportlandsun.com online and click on the word subscribe. No one told them. No one warned them about the house on Willow Lane. What is it? It's the house. It's, it's alive. Here, Looney. Have you seen this energy bill? Ah, this house is robbing us blind! If your house is an energy thief, TVA and your local power company would like to help make your home more efficient and lower your bills. To learn more, visit energyrights.com. We're CEMC. One of the biggest, best, and most exciting auctions ever in Portland is now underway online and will be available for open house viewing on September 24th. But you can go by and see the collections now at Days Gone By Museum, 122 Davis Street, Tuesday through Friday from 8 a.m. until 4 p.m. and Saturday from 8 until 2. For sale by bidding are the entire collections of the estate of Kathleen Collins and the contents of the museum. The volume and variety of the items up for auction are unmatched anywhere. Antique tractors, trucks, gas engines, steam engines, airplanes, motorcycles, scooters, antique farm equipment, antiques from all over the world. The most complete collection of Maytag appliances anywhere. It's unbelievable. Online bidding is open now at almanauctions.com. That's A-U-M-A-N-N-A-U-C-T-I-O-N-S dot com. So hurry while the good stuff lasts. Good afternoon, Portland. We're back listening to the Loyal Opposition with Len Asante on WQKR, Portland's radio station. It is 93 degrees and sunny out there. Keep cool, keep hydrated, everyone. Low tonight will be 71. Traffic report from Dave in the WQKR traffic copter says, hey, it's Portland. There's no traffic. Hey, so with that out of the way, let's get to our guest. I would like to uh, introduce one of my favorite people in the entire known universe, uh, a local attorney, Amanda Gentry. Amanda, welcome to the show. Hey, Lynn. It's Amanda Gentry here. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm super excited. Like you said, you reached out to me and I jumped on the opportunity, so... Look forward to talking with you over the next hour. Amanda is often super excited, folks, as you'll probably find out listening for the next 45 minutes. And again, we do have a text-in phone number now if you would like to call, text in with a call with a question or a comment. That number is 516-440-6310. That's 516-440-6310. Okay, well, Amanda, welcome to the show. Let's start off with uh, telling the audience a little bit about yourself. What's your education? What's your experience? What do you do? Do you, and in regarding to today's topic, do you have any experience working in the Sumner County justice system? Oh, certainly, yes. So I uh, moved to Sumner County when I was two. My dad and my grandparents lived in Sumner County. Uh, that's where my dad was raised. Uh, he is a lifelong Sumner County resident, and much like a lot of his friends are. Uh, so I graduated from Hendersonville High School uh, in 2002, and then when I graduated I was only 16, and I needed to go to Volunteer State, which is where I met Lynn. Lynn was one of my professors at Vol State. I was a communications major. Uh, I then went to MTSU, 
and was a philosophy major and then went to national school of law and graduated. I've been an attorney eight and a half years. My primary focus is uh, criminal defense. Uh, I'm an avid um, uh, believer in the Constitution and all of the different rights, and we'll get into all that later. But also I do uh, father's rights, which is uh, fathers have rights to their children and to exercise their parental rights, and they have a fundamental constitutional right to parent their children. So those are the two things I focus on uh, in my practice of law. I'm a solo practitioner. Uh, which means I work for myself, so I get to take naps uh, whenever I want. Um, but I also have been practicing in the Sumner County uh, uh, courts uh, in front of all the judges here in Sumner County since the beginning, uh, that when I started practicing eight and a half years ago. So uh, I have relationships with the district attorney's office, the public defender's office, all of the judges uh, here in Sumner County. Um, and I love to practice in my home county, uh, and I love to defend people uh, from uh, maybe an overreaching government, uh, which is one of my biggest passions about representing people accused of crimes. Do you have a, um, a favorite judge, a mentor, someone you looked up to, someone who you see as a role model for yourself, a, a person that either you've met and known or just someone you've read about and studied? Well, I mean, I, I I got a lot of my first cases were here in Sumner County and also in Rutherford County because I have that connection to Rutherford because that's where I went to college at MTSU. Uh, that's where I got a lot of my original trial experience was in Rutherford County. Uh, but I practice wherever justice demands, which means I have um, uh, I represent people accused of uh, anywhere from a DUI all the way up to a murder. And I have right now about five open murder cases from Decatur County, Tennessee, all the way to Warren County, Tennessee. Uh, I uh, represent people accused of these crimes um, all throughout the Middle Tennessee area. As far as your question here, you know, in Sumner County, we've had a, a tremendous shift of our judicial uh, resources or judicial bench in the last. Um, it was a very, very heartbreaking experience um, to uh, lose Mike Carter, Judge Carter. Sure. Um, we watched, you know, and he, he was real, he was such a patient, such a kind, such a fair uh, man, and we really lost that, um, that sort of attitude on the bench. Um, of course, um, the legendary uh, Judge Hunter has officially retired, uh, and the folks of Sumner County uh, elected uh, Ron Blanton, who has been a career prosecutor, um, and then we also now have Key McCormick. I don't, I don't know Key very well, but I have high hopes. Um, I think her, she brings a lot of diversity, gender and race-wise, to the bench. Um, and so I'm looking sure. forward to uh, seeing how she approaches people accused of crimes. And, and uh, you know, right now in Sumner County, the magistrates, which are the people that set the bonds, are setting extremely, extremely um, higher bonds than normal. And so the criminal defense bar is having to sort of wade through going and trying to get that revisited by what's, a judge. What's an average bond on the typical DUI in Sumner County? Well, I'd, I would have to look at the stats. It's, it's tough to do that. But anything on a DUI, you're probably looking at maybe a $2,500 bond yeah. or something. Yeah. But if there's violence involved, it's getting then up to, sure. it's getting up to um, you know, a quarter of a million, half a million dollar bonds. Um, but... Bond bond issues and bail issues are really, you know, they're, they're supposed to secure, I mean, people are innocent until proven guilty. Um, and putting people in jail prior to their uh, to their trials, and trials can last, I mean, somebody gets arrested, it may be three years before the state is ready, um, and the court system is ready to try that individual. Um, we're still dealing with COVID backlog, but that doesn't doesn't stop the fact that very serious crimes usually take quite a bit of time to get to a trial situation. Okay. Um, well, let's get started with some, with some questions. I was going to ask you about why you're so excited to be here, but I think it's pretty clear. So. Well, yeah, and also <laughs> just a little background on me, too, is that I, I practice law, but I'm also uh, heavily involved with the Tennessee Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers. And we have about 1,200 criminal defense lawyers all over the state of Tennessee that are a part of an organization that work together uh, to help other defense lawyers, you know, 
we don't necessarily want all the clients um, accused of crimes to be buried under the jail. We want the government to do its job to prove its case, to do it beyond a reasonable doubt, and we have a fundamental constitutional right to a jury trial, and a lot of us truly believe in those constitutional rights, and, and that's what the defense bar is here to do, is to ensure that every step of the way a defendant is entitled to those constitutional rights. Um, and so I also track legislation for the Tennessee Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers, which means um, from January until May, I am monitoring all of the legislation that is coming from Capitol Hill. Uh, and, and that could be hun literally hundreds of pieces On of average, they usually file about 1,200 bills per session, and that usually windles down on average to about 150 bills that be actually become law because a lot of legislators file similar-natured bills, um, and I think they could probably, if they work together outside of the session, they could probably consolidate some of them, and it wouldn't be as much, but um, they are... That's what they do. So we have to whittle through uh, about 1,200, and then about 150 laws go into effect every year, and generally somewhere between 30 and 40 may impact the criminal justice system uh, from all manner of different avenues. But yes, uh, criminal, criminal justice and, um, is a very hot topic, very important political issue for um, both sides of the aisle, and, um, and is heavily... Uh, talked about and uh, addressed annually at the legislature. Okay, well, we're going to get into that uh, right after our break. Uh, we're going to take a break. We'll be back in a couple minutes. More with Amanda Gentry. You're listening to The Loyal Opposition here on WQKR. If you're looking for a job or a better job, we have good news for you. Habilitation and Training Services, better known as HATS, is looking for direct support professionals, DSP, to work alongside adults with intellectual disabilities by assisting them with community integration, community employment, and activities of daily living in a residential setting. It's a specialized field, but prior experience isn't required. It's a job that's rewarding and meaningful and offers great benefits, including paid time off, health, dental, and life insurance, a retirement program, and longevity pay. And in addition to all that, every night when your day is over, you know you've helped people to have a better life. What a great feeling. What a great job. HATS offers full-time, part-time, and PRN positions for various shifts in Portland, Gallatin, and Springfield. For more information, call 615-575-1030. That's 615-575-1030. Or go online to HATSTN.org. HATSTN.org. This is a rare opportunity to have a job you love and help other people who need your help. Make the call today, 615-575-1030. You'll be glad you did. It's time again for Panther football. And Graphic Obsessions has all your Panther gear for the season. Right off the rack or get custom printed shirts and hoodies with your favorite player's name and number custom printed and delivered fast. Shop where the Panthers shop. Graphic Obsessions, 105 South Broadway, open Monday through Friday from 9 to 5, or visit our Facebook page. Shop small, shop local, shop Portland Panthers at Graphic Obsessions. It's time to save on the powerfully versatile Kubota M7 tractor with up to 168 horsepower, superior loader lift capacity, and operator-friendly controls and comfort. The hardworking M7, rated number one in durability and owner experience. Now get the Kubota M7 tractor for zero down and 0% APR for 60 months, plus $8,000 loyalty cash reward. Now through September 30th. See us or go to KubotaUSA.com for full disclaimer. Welcome back, everybody. This is Len Asante, your host of The Loyal Opposition. Uh, you're listening live, WQKR. All right, it's time for our trivia question, folks. Uh, we've got a justice-related trivia question for you. Who can name, without Googling it, the first Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court? It was appointed by President George Washington on October 19, 1789, the first Justice of the Supreme Court. 
first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. I'll give you a hint, folks. He's got a college named after him. If that helps. Okay, uh, we're back with attorney Amanda Gentry. A question came in over the break from one of our loyal listeners who, said, who asks, with the recent high-profile murder cases in Memphis, could you explain and discuss the truth in sentencing law? Thanks so much. Yeah, so the truth in sentencing law was recently passed last year um, through a v lot of different, um, you know, conversations and amendments and things like that. But effectively, prior to this law passing, as a defense lawyer, um, if an if a inmate or a defendant had been found guilty of a crime, we could not tell him. We could not say, uh, yes, sir, you have been convicted, let's say, January 1st of 2020, and your release date is now effectively um, – it, it's all jail math is what I call it. And I always tell my individual clients I'm not good at jail math. Um, that's what the Department of Correction does. But there were all these percentages, and they're all over the place. So you had certain crimes were eight years at 30% or eight years at 40% or eight years at 85% or at 100%. And so what the supermajority here did was they said, listen, and, and to, ways to address some of, this, some, of the, some of the things that are more violent and some of the ones that are very, very harsh. Right now in Tennessee, if you were convicted of murder, you, there is no question that you will spend the rest of your life in prison if you, you get sentenced to usually about 51 years is the first time you could go for parole. Nobody has ever granted parole on a murder case for the first time. So at minimum, you're going to do 60 years on a life sentence here in Tennessee. That didn't change. That's not the issue. What, what changed was they took some of these, these cases where maybe the person would do, if you do eight years at 30%, that means at 2.4 years, you would be eligible to talk to the parole board. And at that point, the parole board could make a determination on whether or not they were satisfied with your you know, your behavior in the system and all of that. As a rule, a lot of those things were denied. But one of the things, it got very difficult for defense lawyers to be able to explain to their clients and their families when they would get released. It also, on the other coin, my, my colleagues and my friends in the DA's office, they couldn't tell their victims, for example, um, you know, you were a victim of a crime and this crime, we don't know when this individual is getting out. So what the state did is they, 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 named about 14 or 15 different crimes that they considered themselves to be the, the worst of the worst crimes that were not already 100% sentencing. So, for example, if you were charged with rape, it's 100% sentencing, most cases. In, in murder cases, 100% sentencing. You have no eligibility for release. But let's be real. The reality of the situation is outside of your first-degree murder cases, the vast majority of people that are sentenced to prison are at some point are going to be released. And so what Truth in Sentencing was trying to do was to give clarification to both the state and the defense and everybody involved in that system to be able to understand when those people would get released. But where that got frustrating, and Lynn cut me off because I could talk about this all day, but where that got frustrating is it was, it's very, very expensive to house those individuals for as long as they do. We are, um, there's no question um, that we're going to have to build extra prisons. Um, whether those are private or public prisons, we can talk about that later. Um, but we are going to have to house all of these uh, extra criminals that are now would be getting out in three years, but now they mandatorily have to serve an eight-year sentence at 100%. Again, it's a percentage thing that they're trying to eliminate. They were trying to and did successfully eliminate the question on about 15 different crimes that they found to be the most egregious. Now, one exception to that is aggravated assault, and aggravated assault um, is a felony if you're charged with it, but one thing in aggravated assault is that you do not actually have to be injured um, to be a victim of aggravated assault, the way the statute's written, aggravated assault, you can just be in fear that you were about to be. Hmm. Uh, for example, like, uh, I'll give you an example. Let's say you're protesting on the side of the street, um, and somebody, you know, kind of you know, maybe swipes their car at you and they don't hit you, but they scare you enough to be in fear that you're going to be injured, even though you're not, that's automatically a C felony that automatically now is of July one. If you're convicted of that, you will automatically do eight years at 85%. But what ends up happening is that in severely increases the prison population. And 
Um, also, the trial courts are going to be, in my opinion, um, significantly backed up because sure. if you're a criminal sure. defendant, if you're a criminal defendant and the state, the only offer they can give you to settle your case and to avoid a trial is 100% sentencing, the vast majority of these defendants I anticipate are going to want their day in court or they're going to want their trial. Um, because let's be real, on a jury trial, um, all 12 people have to be unanimous. And from a defendant standpoint, all we need is one individual juror to say, no, I'm not buying the state's argument. And then that, that changes that conversation a little sure, bit. Sure, it's, it's worth taking that, sure. Yeah, but I, I do think that the truth in sentencing, it's going to be very, very expensive. Um, I, and one thing that I think frustrated um, some players, there's a lot of stakeholders in the criminal justice system. You've got the DAs, you've got the public defenders, you've got the defense bar, you've got the judges, you have the probation officers, you have the victims, witness coordinators. I mean, it, it, there are so many moving parts. Um, and when our supermajority was discussing a lot of these bills. A lot of the times they only spoke to victims groups or to law enforcement groups. Um, and uh, I get frustrated personally um, that they don't reach out to other other organizations that are heavily involved. Um, in other moving parts. Other moving parts, right. yeah. They, sure. they, they tend to, the, the legislator tends to, um, usually, always, they'll bring in somebody from law enforcement and somebody from the DA's office, but they never bring the counterpart. Very, I, I don't mean never. Very rarely are they going to bring the other, the loyal opposition or the other <laughs> side of the coin to say, yeah, this is the presentation that the district attorney's office is, but let's, there's also a, a public defender uh, opinion or a judicial opinion. Um, they passed some laws um, at July 1 that eliminated something in Tennessee that was called community corrections, which gave housing and, and helped people when they're released from prison. Because that's what Tennessee has the biggest problem with right now is we do not have a good system in place to deal with people when they are released from incarceration. Vast majority of the time, these individuals are released with a trash bag of their clothes, no car, nowhere to go, nowhere to, no, to do. They may have to report to a probation officer. Um, very, very different in the federal system. The federal system, they immediately have to go into halfway houses and they're monitored by social workers and, and other individuals. So what, what little we did have is gone. Correct. Okay. Right. Now, the other, the other point that I found in there interesting is obviously uh, the number of people who are housed is going to increase because of the truth in sentencing. Significantly. Okay. Now, that means we're going to have to build new prisons. Either yes. we or private companies are going to have to build new prisons to house these folks. Um, which brings up the issue of, of private prisons, which have been in the news a lot lately. Uh, another, uh, CoreCivic, a Tennessee-based company, uh, started, one of the founders of CoreCivic was the former chairman of the state Republican Party, believe it or not. Uh, and, uh, they and they build prisons and they charge the state for housing inmates. Uh, and it would certainly seem that this would be good business for them. Uh, yes, certainly. Well, I mean, I, you know, I pay attention to the laws as they are being created and as they are enforced on the ground. Um, as far as the politics going on in the back rooms, I don't go to those conversations much, so I don't know. But, uh, you know, I, I would I would say that the vast majority of a lot of our individual um, people in power probably have a byline in their campaign donations from the core civic company. Uh, what that does, I, I, I can't point fingers. I don't have that in front of me, but I, I would bet that if anybody wanted to look that up, you could follow the money, certainly. Sure. Um, but, sure. The, but the truth in sentencing is going to require significant more prisons to be built. Um, it's very, very, very expensive. Um, well, let me ask you this, though. Will truth in sentencing reduce crime? Absolutely. In my opinion, absolutely not. I don't think the data shows that. I think that's one of the things where the conversations that were had. Listen, let's be let's be real. I mean, it's an election year. OK, people want the bylines. People want the headlines, things like that. I get it. Um, nobody, nobody on either side of the aisle. I don't care which party you're a part of wants to be seen as tough on crime, period. As, as soft on crime. Soft on crime. Sure. My bad. Yeah. Sure. You know, everybody wants to be the tough on crime thing. What what concerns me is the data does not show that incarcerating people for longer periods of time is going to reduce crime. What the data shows and what the data that was not considered in the passage of the truth in sentencing was that we have got to figure again, the vast majority of individuals that are incarcerated will be released 
back into our communities and back into our towns. And that could be cities or that could be Portland. And because that's where they go back to. And we've got to have something in place to say we need to monitor these individuals. We need to have social workers or mental health professionals or some sort of housing. Just recently in Knoxville, there's a there's a really incredible program called the Men of Valor. And what the Men of Valor does is help these individual men coming out of prison be released. Um, and they built for the first place in Tennessee in Knoxville, um, really great guy, um, just built housing for these these individuals that are leaving prison to get them jobs, driver's license. Because the, the second you get out of prison and you don't have somewhere to go, what are you going to do? What are, you're going to you're going to drive without a driver's license. You're and going you're to steal for crimes. food. You're going to commit crimes. <laughs> and so in exactly. order to deter future crimes from happening, we've got to give these people some basic not let them walk out with a trash bag of of their so clothes. So we should be focusing more on what happens after they get released and and less on the amount of time they spend behind bars. That's correct. Summarize, and and, and as to Okay. Yes. Okay. Um all right, we're going to take a break and when we come back, uh we're going to get uh we're going to get a little deep in, deeper into the statistics about Tennessee's violent crime rate. And you're listening to the Loyal Opposition here on WQKR, Portland. What does Casasa mean to you? If you have a checking account, Casasa means free banking. That's right. Casasa Cash and Casasa Saver are free, reward-based accounts offered only at Volunteer State Bank. No minimum balance to earn the rewards, no monthly service fee, free online banking, and nationwide ATM fee refunds. It's a free checking account that rewards Volunteer State Bank customers with high interest for every month you qualify. Available only at Volunteer State Bank. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. D.T. McCall is your neighborhood mattress superstore at 1220 Scottsville Road in Lafayette and online at dtmccalls.com. Queenset started only $499.99 at D.T. McCall for beautiful Amish handcrafted beds and many national brands, too. Dr. J's Spinal Series queen-size bed started just $15.99.99, and 12 months, 0% interest is available. Some restrictions apply. Also this month at D.T. McCall, high-quality, good-looking LG washers and dryers are on sale, starting at just $649.99 each. Frigidaire and Samsung refrigerators, freezers, and ranges are all on sale, too, with big savings and mail-in rebates. Friendly hometown service, great savings in every department, convenient financing, and free delivery within 125 miles of Carthage. Shop where we shop at WQKR. D.T. McCall, 1220 Scottsville Road in Lafayette. In the Portland, Gallatin, Hendersonville, and Springfield area, you'll find the perfect vehicle for your lifestyle at Reiselman Buick GMC, 2516 Memorial Boulevard in Springfield. Hello, WQKR listeners. This is Courtney Reiselman from Reiselman Buick GMC. And thanks to you, we're the fastest-growing dealership in the Nashville area. Here's the thing. Our goal is every customer, every time. Our name is Buick GMC, yet we buy pre-owned vehicles all over the country. Mercedes, Toyota, Honda, just let us know, and we'll find it. Did you know our collision and body shop is top-rated? Bring it to us, and we'll fix it right the first time. Todd, I, and the team thank you for your support and appreciate your business. We look forward to seeing you. In the Portland, Gallatin, Hendersonville, and Springfield area, you'll find the perfect vehicle for your lifestyle at Reiselman Buick GMC. Open Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. until 7.30 p.m. and 8 till 6 on on Saturday at 2516 Memorial Boulevard in Springfield. Sumner Regional Medical Center believes that every person has the right to dignity, respect, and compassion as we journey through the cycle of life. That's why they have created High Point Hospice. Our team of doctors, nurses, hospice aides, social workers, chaplains, and volunteers will walk by your side, offering support, providing symptom management, and answering questions to bring comfort and peace to you and your loved ones. For more information about High Point Hospice, call 328-6690. Hey, join me, Kenny Mann, right here on the queue for Wednesday night's Triple Play Sports. It's every Wednesday, and Elijah Jacobs, Phil Tucker, that's Triple Play, and it's right here on the queue. Man, we're talking sports. You don't want to miss it. See you there. 
Planet Fitness Triple Play Sports every Wednesday night from 6 until 9 on WQKR, broadcast live and on location from Planet Fitness in downtown Portland. Welcome back to the Loyal Opposition with your host, Len Asante, and our guest, Amanda Gentry. Ah, 91 degrees and sunny in Portland, low of 71 tonight. Uh, answer to the trivia question. Uh, we, uh, one of our listeners chimed in. Don't know if he looked it up on Google or not, but he's claimed it was easy, so we're going to give him the benefit of the doubt. John Jay was the first Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court, sworn in by George Washington, and the John Jay College of Criminal Justice in New York City is named in his honor. Hey, uh, the loyal opposition is expanding. Uh, we are starting to do podcasting now, and podcasting is going to allow us to reach a wider audience and to cover more of what's going on in Portland and Sumner County. Our first podcasting event will be tomorrow at Harbin Hollow. Harbin Hollow local market here in Portland, uh, owned by Michelle Harbin, 809 North Broadway in Portland, Tennessee. They're having their second anniversary celebration and a voter registration drive. So we're going to be talking to uh, Michelle, and we're going to be talking to potential new voters and uh, seeing what's going on out there. And we'll edit that up and create our first podcast. Okay, uh, we're back with Amanda Gentry. Uh, Amanda, Tennessee's violent crime rate of 673 incidents per 100,000 people, according to the FBI the highest of any state in the South, third highest nationwide. The state's violent crime rate climbed by 13% in 2020 compared to 5% nationwide. Have you, what's up with that? And, and have you experienced it personally? I, it, well, certainly. I mean, I, I represent people accused of violent crimes on a daily basis. Um, but, you know, our joke, and it's a joke, but we joke about how if, if we were to carve Memphis out and sell them to Arkansas, those numbers would drastically change. Um, but I think um, Memphis has, uh, did just have a, a pretty significant election with a uh, conservative prosecutor that had been on, um, in power for um, 11 or 12 years. Um, and so they have now elected a, uh, a Democratic uh, prosecutor. I, I don't know if that will change things. I think access to firearms um, here in Tennessee, uh, which is very easy um, for a lot of individuals to get, um, makes things worse. I think people leaving firearms in their vehicles. I mean, in Nashville, that's a huge crime uh, situation where young juveniles um, are trying to be cool and get into cool gangs or whatever, and the first thing they do is um, check every car in the neighborhood for a firearm, and they usually find them. So lock your firearms up, people. That's going to make our, our um, cities safer just so one step are, at a time. So people are leaving their firearms visible in their automobiles. Yes, it happens all the, the time. Streets. Yes, and it happens people all are the breaking time. into those cars to steal the guns. I know, a lot of people don't lock their cars either, mm -hmm. and that, that really doesn't help the situation. But if we just all do the best we can to lock up our firearms um, from the reach of strangers or – I mean, we're not going to be able to stop a juvenile from uh, – but, but these are just simple crimes of opportunity that can be easily dealt with. Certainly, right? okay. yeah. All right, speaking of, gun, speaking of guns and gun violence, uh, Tennessee has the 11th highest rate of gun violence in the nation, according to World Population Watch. And the Tennessee legislature has been making it easier and easier to get and carry guns without training and bring those guns into more places in Tennessee. Um, based on what you said, I'm assuming you think this doesn't make a whole lot of sense given the violent crime rate in Tennessee. Well, I, you know, as a, a, a criminal defense lawyer and a lover of the Constitution, you know, I like all the amendments. I like the first, the second, the, the fourth, well, the fourth is search and seizures. You know, a lot of people want to focus on the second um, and demanding their right. But while they're doing that, they're, they're not focusing on how the courts and how the legislators nationwide are slowly eroding our Fourth Amendment rights, our Fifth Amendment rights, our Sixth Amendment rights, and our Eighth Amendment rights. Those are all very important rights. Yes, the Second Amendment right is incredibly important to individuals. I understand that. What, how do we stop the gun violence? I don't know. But as a constitution lover, I want all the rights. I want all of these amendments to be protected long term and, and that 
when you focus a, on as one, a criminal defense attorney, though, you also want people to responsibly use those rights. Certainly, certainly, right? yes. Not yell crowd, not yell fire in a crowded movie theater. I don't have any right. issue with fire firearms or firearm. I don't personally have any, um, but um, like you said, you you have more than a lot of the people here that listening might. You know, I just want people to be responsible with, especially the ones that they have. Right. Try and to keep it, it out of the hands of other individuals. Yes, exactly, and, and you know, and people who leave their guns laying out on their car seats for people to see as they're walking down the street. Uh, in Nashville, I mean, you know, that person should be charged with a crime as well, I think, you know, or, or at least be given a good talking to for doing something pretty stupid. And there are, I mean, there's two federal laws, like uh, as it relates to DUI convictions and domestic violence convictions. If you're convicted of either one of those crimes, your firearm uh, possession ability is severely limited by the federal government. Sure. Um, so you still have some federal government restrictions at, if you've been convicted of a crime, not not pre-crime, but. So it's not an easy problem to solve. It's none not. of these things are easy are easy problems are easy problems to solve, and it seems like politics, coming from both sides, of course, makes the, sometimes the problems harder to solve rather than easier to solve. If I got, you know, to be king for a day, as they say, and got to have my way, I just want the legislators uh, and the policymakers to bring in all the stakeholders. Um, a lot right. of times half of the stakeholders are left out, and I don't think that that is that's making smart policies. Um, we will see. It will take years and years of data over the next five to six, seven, maybe even ten years to really see how this truth and sentencing is going to play out. From a uh, from a, uh, a financial standpoint, um, I do. And for a recidivism standpoint, right, 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 right. Yeah. Okay. Um, if someone out there needs legal assistance, someone's thinking about becoming a new felon. <laughs> what should they do? So I always tell people that. Um, I appreciate and support law enforcement um, all day long. We have some really incredible law enforcement um, officers in our communities. Um, but as a rule, um, I also watch a lot of legal dramas, and there are innocent people in prison. Um, we could talk about that for a whole other hour someday, sure. but there are. It's not common, but it does happen. Uh, my position as a criminal defense lawyer is if you are in contact with the police and they're asking you about a crime, you stop talking and you lawyer up immediately because my position is that if the police are asking you about the crime, they don't have it solved yet. If they had it solved yet, you would be handcuffed. Uh, a lot of times they want to bring people in, try to get their statement, try to get them to, to contribute to that and put the pieces of the crime together. So, um, and you can watch documentary after documentary of people that have made false confessions and made statements to police under coercion or under fear or under promises. Um, so just, I wouldn't talk to the police about crimes if you think you're involved or even if you don't think you're involved. I would I'd just try to contact a lawyer um, and to protect your, uh, your, your freedom and your rights to be able to do that. Well, um, if they want to contact you, how can they contact you? you got a oh, website? I'm not hard to find. You can Google Amanda J. Gentry. Uh, I'm on the Twitter. I'm on the uh, Facebook. I'm on the Instagram. My dogs have an Instagram. I know you do. Uh, the paw offices. So, yeah, you, you can Google. I mean, it's, I'll come up. Um, not hard to find, um, but 615-604-6263. Or you can follow me on Twitter. A lot of people do. Um, my Twitter account is clown at law because I collect clowns. That's another story for a different day. Um, but clown at law. She's a freak, people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, thanks, Amanda. Um, we did not get through half the questions I had for Amanda. Can I come back another time? So, yes, we'll be inviting Amanda back another <laughs> time because she's a great guest with lots to say. And the less talking I have to do, um, the less people who hate me, and uh, the better the show is. So thank you so much for joining us, Amanda. That's it, folks, for another edition of The Loyal Opposition with your host, Len Asante. Come on back next week, Wednesday at 5 o'clock, for uh, more news commentary and interviews with newsmakers in Sumner County. Up next, Triple Play Sports. You are listening to WQKR. Hi, this is Jay Preston, host of a brand new show on WQKR on Sunday afternoons. We call it Americana Country. 
You'll hear the best Americana and roots music anywhere. We feature singer-songwriters, folk music, blues, classic country, bluegrass, rockabilly, classic rock, and R&B. Join me, Jay Preston, Sunday afternoons, 1 till 4 p.m. on WQKR for Americana Country. Portland's only locally owned hometown pharmacy is Portland Prescription Shop, 705 South Broadway. With a convenient location, convenient hours, and a free delivery service for all local residents. If you're a former customer of Village Drugs, which closed at the end of March, Portland Prescription Shop will be happy to be your new home for all of your pharmacy and prescription needs. Open Monday through Friday from 8.30 until 5.30 and Saturday 8.30 till 1. Portland Prescription Shop accepts all insurance plans. A big selection of over-the-counter non-prescription medications and sundries. And a $1 and $2 section with a big selection of items at super saving prices. Locally owned and operated, Mike and the friendly staff are looking